The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. And we are back with an all-new episode of Keep It, the episode you wait for every year. It's the Oscars episode. I'm Ira Madison III. And I'm my own hero even when I'm broken, Louis Vertel. <laughs> Little shout-out to Lady Gaga. So I was backstage at the Oscars early in the day, and she showed up to do her surprise-ish performance, and she wasn't wearing any makeup, and she was hunched over, and I thought, oh, who will ever get to see Lady Gaga like this? This is like a really crazy, like, you know, get I get as, as being part of the Oscars. Then it turned out that was the performance. She literally just did that for everybody. That's not privileged at all. <laughs> she was really in her, I've got my rock star jeans on. Like, she was, she could have done a run to Erwan. Like, yes. Right after that performance. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> chapstick list too. That was like, I love how she took this like camp 80s song from this camp 80s inspired song from a Tom Cruise movie. Correct. And like, was out there like she was doing tapestry. Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely de glammed impressively because she came to the ceremony in glam got out of glam anyway we have a guest today and a guest host so we better get to him we do we do i mean look normally it is just me being regaled with oscar facts by lewis as we all know he has a mind for trivia and a bod for sin as they say <laughs> uh but we working are girl joined... 1988 melanie griffith best actress nominee <laughs> yes but we are joined by the wonderful michael shulman this week to discuss everything from the Oscar ceremony, to discuss his book, his new book, uh, Oscar Wars, A History of Hollywood in Gold, Sweat, and Tears, which I am loving, Michael, by the way. And I'm also such a fan of your previous book, Her Again, Becoming Meryl. Um, and so we're going to talk about that, too. Well, hi. Thanks for having me. We were just talking about, first of all, I ran into Michael at the Oscars, which is where he belongs. I'm surprised you didn't <laughs> disintegrate minutes after the ceremony was over. But um, it, it's a book where you talk about the uh, famous and not so famous campaigns in Oscars history, namely when it's like one and two people against each other. Um, what has been the most fun Oscars campaign to revisit? Like, what's the one you just enjoy talking about the most? Well, the chapter in the book that I, was the most fun to write and is kind of the most fun to talk about, and it's actually not about a campaign. It's about the 1989 ceremony. Oh, sure. With, mm. you know, Rob Lowe and Snow White and um, that kind of like crazy campy 11-minute opening number. Um, so I devoted a lot of um, investigative journalism to how that, that came to be. And um, – it was. It's a really interesting story. I mean, it's really a story about this man, Alan Carr, who was this fabulously um, 
flamboyant gay man. He produced Grease and La Caja on Broadway and um, more near and dear to my heart, Can't Stop the Music, the Village People movie. Oh, yes. Directed by Nancy Walker of Rota yes. fame. Yes. Yes. And um, he just dreamed his whole life of producing the Oscars. Finally got a chance to do it in 1989 and it just destroyed his life uh, and his career. And um, I mean, part of it was, you know, to me, it's like an Icarus story. Like he just he flew too close to that Oscar sun and then plummeted into the sea. Um, but every detail about it is so just insane and over the top and 80s glitzy. Like Alan Carr was famous for wearing uh, an array of designer caftans and had yes. this fabulous house in Benedict Canyon where he'd throw, you know, like uh, Bacchanals for, you know, Nureyev. And, and um, you know, he was known as like this, he was known as the Glittermeister. And um, when he got his chance to produce the Oscars, he just decided, I'm going to put my name everywhere. Everyone's going to know that this is the Alan Carr Oscars. You know, it's going to be bitter, bigger, glitzier, better, more glamorous. And then so when it failed, when it was this this camp disaster, everyone knew who to point the finger to because we, <laughs> people don't usually know who produces the Oscars, <laughs> yeah, but everyone right. knew Alan Carr, Alan Carr, Alan Carr, Alan Carr. And he was just ostracized overnight. So, and there was an element of like, homophobia to it because people didn't really say this but they kind of felt like that was too gay yeah right which is pretty rare at the oscars because it goes gay you know what i'm saying yeah and i mean part of what i realized researching this is that you know everyone calls that the worst oscars ever but if you just look a year or year or two years beforehand all of the 80s ceremonies are all over the top and schlocky and insane i mean the year before 1988 you had peewee herman presenting with robocop right like the and and Alan and Snow White's the problem, you know. So I, I feel like there was a the way we remember that that ceremony and the way it sort of got immortalized as a fiasco. I, I sort of wanted to deconstruct it. That is uh, uh, valiant of you. I'm glad you did <laughs> because when you watch it, it is baffling. Like you're just thinking, what is it about Snow White in that moment that she needed to be a part of the 1989 ceremony? And if you haven't seen this opening number, it's incredibly infamous but as you said there's lots of infamous oscar moments that people have totally forgotten about one that comes to mind for me is ann reinking uh performing against all odds oh, in yeah. the 80s <laughs> because they thought phil collins the nominee was not a big enough star like what planet are we on already and then you watch her perform it and she gives it the i'm gonna call it gusto that the song deserves but it's so over the top you're wondering who uh you know constructed the performance to begin with but uh, yeah, just the 1989 Oscars opening is one of the true campiest moments on television of the past 35 years that we have any memory of. You know, this, this it's, it's, in the, it's in the tradition of something like Night of a Hundred Stars or something, which we used to get. Although this week, two people were sharing the, uh, what was I think, 68, 69 costumes. Oscar, the costume performance, um, which involved someone in a Planet of the Apes costume getting dangerously too close to Jane Fonda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, it's the late 60s, so it's this kooky display of, like, kind of psychedelic-type dancing with all the nominees performing it's in costume. It's Bath Fosse, yes. basically. Correct. Uh, but they were used to that. Like, they were all—that's what the after party looked like. So— Right. Correct. By the way, to sidestep the Oscars for a second, I have a question for you, Michael. You were interviewed by Terry Gross recently. Yes. It was a lot like this. Yes. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> How the fuck was that? I just find, like, I, I'm a fan of Terry Gross, obviously, but to sit there with her voice, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure filling the room acoustically like you're in Disney Hall, uh, I would be incredibly intimidated, I think. 
Uh, somewhat, yes. I mean, I was pretty nervous. Uh, not because her questions were, um, you know, designed to make me nervous, but because I know a lot of people listen to that show and – um, it was that you know you uh, as people don't if people don't know her her process like you don't see her she's not on a screen she's definitely not there yeah um, she's at home you don't see her so it's really just like the you know it's like the voice of God is suddenly in your in your ears oh my God that's so hard to it that's so hard <laughs> you don't even get to like zoom see her or anything oh no 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 no, no. she's in like a cryogenic chamber yeah. yeah steam pouring out of the room but it was good we talked for an hour and 45 minutes and then they cut it down to like 35 minutes wow so, mm. yeah we talked for an hour and 45 and they do not cut it down they add ads <laughs> <laughs> it's two hours 36 by the time we're done we're, also, we're longer than avatar here Okay, and speaking of Avatar, a movie from this year, what were your takeaways just from watching this year's Oscars in person? I ran into you uh, in the lobby where I was, I just want to say, I spent most of my time just bewildered to be around, of all people, Rooney Mara. I just wanted, I, I can't explain it. I was like, should I say hi? I'm such a huge fan. And I didn't. So just know Rooney Mara, I spared you. Um, well, I was watching from way up in the nosebleeds in the balcony, mm. uh, where I usually am. And... Um, it's really interesting. You know, people have asked me, like, what's the biggest difference between watching live and watching on TV? You miss a lot when you're not watching on TV, you know, and you especially miss what the internet is turning into memes and, and talking about. Because, you know, I got a text from my friend Dan in the middle of the show saying, I'm obsessed with uh, Angela Bassett's non-reaction to Jamie Lee Curtis's win. And I was like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I can't see any screen anywhere. I, I have no idea what, what like, you know resting bitch face she made <laughs> i'm you know or, or if the internet is like if it's new the biggest git gif on the internet right now gif gif nobody knows um so in a way you're like a, a sort of blissfully ignorant of what the how the internet is consuming the oscars and but you are really aware of kind of how it feels in the room and i feel like you could i could predict who was going to win based on just the vibe the the applause um I mean, that not to not to performance just completely electrified the entire room. Yes. Um, and then I was behind I was behind people who must have worked for Netflix who just stood up and went wild anytime all quiet on the Western Front one. And then when that stopped and everything everywhere started winning anything, I was behind some other people, like 10 people who must have been connected to that in some way, like A24s. So they all stand up and, and went wild. So I don't know, it was kind of it was kind of weird. Like you 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 don't see it as a TV show and and then I missed Rihanna completely because I left during that commercial break right beforehand. And once you leave, you can't get in until the next commercial. Right. So when Rihanna was performing, I was in the lobby and I met Daniel Rower, I think, his, the guy who uh, directed Navalny. Yeah. He was holding an Oscar. And I was like, hey, let me talk. Let me interview you. And uh, he said, uh, give me your notebook. And then he took my notebook and he took out a Sharpie and he handed his Oscar to someone. And then he drew a, a, a portrait of me. Like we were at a carnival or something. Wow. And handed it back. And then was like, can you get me a gig as a New Yorker cartoonist? I want an Oscar. My 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 stock is way up. Holy shit. So uh, that's what I was doing when Rihanna Impressive. was singing. It's like he knew you were going to be there. How else could he have <laughs> orchestrated that? That's really crazy. Um, uh, but I, I, I want to concur that being there, it is a take-free zone. You're not taking in the 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 sense of the internet or like who cares about what or what's a disappointment and like you just said when Jamie Lee Curtis's name was announced for best supporting actress as an as a nominee the room roared 
Like you, uh, it was almost mm-hmm. like, well, here's the winner, clearly. Whereas, you know, as somebody who has watched the movies, I would personally put her in fifth. Like that was a very <laughs> crazy win to me. I'm very excited to talk more about the Oscars, getting the inside perspective from you, Michael, getting the writing some of the Oscars perspective from you, Lewis, because I have a lot of questions. Yeah, well, as you First know, I'm a literary all, wit and I belong you. there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then also, we're going to go log on the Oscars this week. But after that, Lewis and I will be joined by the Internet's favorite celebrity, Lucas Gage. Um, I got a lot of questions for him, too. We've put him through it in these projects. <laughs> and, on, and over Zoom, if you remember that. Yeah, uh, so we will be right back with more Keep It. Get ready to unleash your inner fan and join the conversation as the Pedro Pascal Power Hour continues on X-Ray Vision. Join Jason and Rosie as they dive into The Mandalorian and catch you up on season one of HBO's The Last of Us. Plus, you can nerd out with them as they discuss all of the wildest and exciting fan theories. Don't miss out on the fun. Tune in every Wednesday and Friday for new episodes of X-Ray Vision wherever you get your podcasts. Do you think they need me to call in for the Pedro Pascal Power Hour and talk about our burgeoning relationship? Yeah, I think you'll add something substantive to that, um, namely delusion, but yes. Yeah. So the Oscars have come and gone, and Lewis and I are so excited to give you an exclusive look at the Little Mermaid trailer. <laughs> <laughs> Just a so quick four minutes of your time. Yeah. <laughs> So speaking of things that were different from watching it at home versus you two um, who were actually there um, at the Dolby, um, you did not see a Little Mermaid trailer. Like, Correct. So all of these things that felt like they were um, sort of like in-show ads with people coming up to be like, well, here's a Little Mermaid and like, you know, here's this thing about Warner Brothers. Um, that was only for the audience at home and it segued right into the commercials. So what did you two see? Well, th- so they introduced those things, which we did see, and then they throw to it, it fades to black, and whoever is presenting goes, and for the people in the studio, you will now see a tribute to in some ca- <laughs> cinematography nominees or adapted screenplay nominees. Like, they had these pre- <laughs> Um, uh, arranged packages just to play uh, for the audience. I had to correct the spelling on Darren Aronofsky's name in one of them, so I consider myself a cinema hero. Uh, but you're right, that was another thing that varied from the uh, vibe at home. Though it was nice to see, like you got to learn something about the actual nominees we're about to be on well, stage. I have you, no idea what the Little Mermaid trailer looks like. Well, at least, at least you were respectful to Darren Aronofsky when his movie wasn't respectful to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is it is a crazy two-time Oscar winning movie though I will say something that people should have been on the lookout for is that when when a movie sometimes wins the Oscar for makeup especially if it's a movie where uh the makeup win is just for one character really you know movies like uh The Darkest Hour or The Eyes of Tammy Faye or The Iron Lady what we're saying is we believe in the illusion of that character, and that probably means we like that performance, too. So you kind of could have predicted Brendan Fraser's win, mm-hmm. you know? I remember when the uh, when the whale won Best Makeup and Hairstyling, um, I'm pretty sure the announcer who talks as the person's getting up on stage said something about how the makeup 
allowed the character to express the full range of human emotion. And I was just like, <laughs> There's really? none left. <laughs> yes. Imagine that. A big fake fat face that gets to be fully human yeah. <laughs> with all of the emotions. It was like, jeez <laughs> Louise. A fake fat gay face, by the way. That's yeah. right. Gay yeah. is one of Imagine. the human emotions that was crucially expressed in this film. But I also want to point out that with, you know, the expression of the character being fat as a monstrosity, uh, the one thing that I really feel like has gotten lost in the conversation about the whale is the gay part. Right. It's Because it's no not one that talks important. About he it. just happens to be gay, okay? Normally every year there would be a co- another conversation about, look at this character, you know, winning for like a queer role. You're the straight actor, you know? Um and that's sort of what this was. That's sort of why it also felt very Dallas Buyers Clubby to me, too. You know, it felt very much I'm an actor, you know, and I'm I'm taking on this character, you know, who's sort of just like they're so weird. They're so interesting. And like, look at this transformation I've done. It felt a lot like that. And that's um, another makeup to best actor win. Exactly what we're talking about. Did you yeah. have a, a favorite or least favorite win in the ceremony, Michael? I was pretty thrilled about not to, not to. Yeah, uh, I was really. Uh, That's I think hardcore. the most universally agreed <laughs> yeah. upon win in, in the category in the categories that night. And they were so. I mean, the performance, as I said, was completely electric. I love that song. I, I've watched that video so many times because it, it's just like it, it's 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 like taking drugs. I mean, you know, that mm-hmm. it just like gets in your brain, and then. Um, and then they were very funny when they won. Uh, that guy who sang the Karen Carpenter song. Um, I don't know. There was just a lot of love for it. I was really excited about Sarah Polly winning. Oh, that was fabulous. Screenplay. Yes. Good speech giver, too. Great speech. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think those were my two most feel-good moments. Um, Sarah Polly, I don't know if you saw this, uh, Ira. She did an interview with Mark Melkin on the red carpet, and he mm-hmm. asked her what she'd be working on next. And she appeared to indicate that she was piecing something together about her experience campaigning and all the things she's learned uh, while uh, promoting women talking. So if we get that, and it, it sounded like an ensemble project, like women talking. So if we get a for your consideration type movie from Sarah Polly, I mean, like, all right, the Oscars, we did it. That's really exciting. I love her. I loved her. I loved her look that yeah. night too. Very Lydia Tar esque. Um, yes, like Lydia Tar's girlfriend. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, like like what what of her what of her wives? Yet. Yes, what right. of her wives? Uh, and the not to not to that that one was so peculiar to me just because that song has been such a beast a beast the same way you know like the song from coco was you know or like something like that but i'm just wondering what the disconnect was with the screenings or not enough people seeing it because for me i just feel like people love it so much it's so much fun i would have much rather seen like all quiet on the western front going like head to head with this film yeah and it's just very Mm -hmm. weird that it was only stuck in the song category and not anywhere else and it's a one-of-a-kind film too when you're sitting down you're you're not comparing it to anything else the bombast of the movie and the um ebullience of uh, all the genres is exploring i guess it would only be comparable to everything everywhere all at once which is a movie i guess we should talk about now because it dominated the oscars really like no movie God, and years and years and years and years, because uh, if it had taken Best Actor 2, which obviously it wasn't nominated for, that would be a different kind of dominance up there with like, It Happened One Night and Silence of the Lambs, where it wins 
Best Picture and Actor and Actress and Screenplay and Direction, but that category was blanked. Well, there. wasn't it wasn't it the first movie uh, you could you know you know Oscar trivia way better than me, Lewis? But wasn't it the first movie to win three acting categories and Correct. Best Picture? Yes, because the only other two are A Streetcar Named Desire and Network. And Network, right? Yes, which yes. didn't win Best Picture, right? So I mean, it's already has anyone like, four. Has anyone no. has it? No one's won four acting categories. Correct. Yes. And best has anyone won four acting categories and not won best picture at all no. or anything or no, no, okay no. so this was a big record yes yes I believe the most nominees per movie is still five and I'm, we're talking about uh, uh, Peyton Place and All About Eve too no is that four anyway Peyton Place for sure um, All About Eve had five acting oh nominees. no five because it's yeah George Sanders uh, I'll, yes Betty Davis and Baxter Celeste Holm Thelma Ritter that's right yes um, anyway. Um, Ira, how did you feel about everything everywhere all at once dominating the way it did? Because I just rewatched the movie last night. Mm. Here's what I thought. I, I, you know, I like the movie. Yeah. I, I'm I'm actually, like, perfectly fine with its dominance because, you know, I don't hate the movie. Uh, it wasn't <laughs> Which is all you f- can kind of hope for sometimes. <laughs> Listen, I don't hate it. It also wasn't my favorite of the year. I don't yeah. even know if it cracks my top you know, eight, it's probably maybe around 10 or something. I really did enjoy it. I had a great time in the theater. I have criticisms of it. Um, But as far as a best picture that was a crowd pleaser, that was fun to watch, that made a shit ton of money as well, like, it is sort of shocking. Um, Because, I mean, you know, not to bring up... um, The bridge troll that is Ben Shapiro, uh, who had a comment about you know like no one's gonna no one's rewatched like a, a best picture winner you know since uh, No Country for Old Men. It's like no one's gonna be watching this in five years. I'm like this actually seems like one of the ones that people will be watching in five years. I feel like know? my timeline like, is awash with people bragging they've seen it seventy five times. So right. they have, they've already rewatched it. They, I mean and like it's so popular that you've got that you it's brought out sort of like the worst of film critics or wannabe film critics who just sort of have to go on very long diatribes about why they hate the movie that that really aren't just a simplistic I didn't like this or I didn't like this. They're like sort of like these existential screeds on like why the people who actually enjoy the film are the worst people in the world. It's like gotten to that level already. So it was interesting to see the backlash to a best picture film that I think is good, you know, as opposed to, you know, like a green book. Right. Which was, you know, horrid. Uh, Also, also I do think every time we get a best (laughs) picture that is like, you know, an agreed upon, well-made, with great performances, we are due for a green book in the future. So karmically, it will come back to us, I'm just saying. But what did you think of Everything Everywhere All at Once's uh, wins? Um, I mean, I liked the movie. It wasn't my favorite movie of the years, but but mine w- I knew weren't going to win. Like my my favorites were Tar and Triangle of Sadness. Hell yeah! So I had resigned myself. Like, it's like you're hitting on me. You have to be careful. We're in close proximity. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I was I was not I was not invested in those movies winning because I knew they w- wouldn't. And I thought the I mean when everything as everything everywhere was winning it just it landed like a love bomb yeah. in in the dolby theater and you just knew like everyone was so excited to be loving this movie there was so much goodwill in the industry for it obviously i think that has to do with how you know it being heartwarming and sort of genre breaking in a very forward looking modern way but also you know it didn't hurt that it made over 100 million dollars and i feel like the academy I mean, I, in my New Yorker coverage, I called it the unicorn 
of of the Oscars this year because, you know, on one side you had the the avatars and Top Guns, these big blockbusters that, you know, supposedly saved the movies, saved the box office. And then, you know, art house movies that didn't make any money. And like everything everywhere is the one thing that isn't a franchise and but isn't an obscure art house movie and just it has something for everyone. So it made a lot of sense. And then I thought all of the three acting um speeches for the people at one were so good. And you know, I rewatched them um the day after and they all made me cry. I mean, yeah, Ki Hoi Kwan and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis starting out the evening like that. And I noticed they both used the phrase, I just want an Oscar in that sort of breathless way, which to me, I mean, I have a healthy reverence for the Academy Awards and think they're, of course, completely absurd in so many ways. But the one thing that gives them real value is people having that feeling of like, this means something when you win it. It's like, how could this be happening to me? And they both felt very genuine about that. And they were both coming at it from different ways. Like for Jamie Lee Curtis, I felt like it's so connected to her parents. And totally. it's this like family promise made good that her parents were both nominated. And she sort of felt like she was the horror movie girl, sort of, you know, like a little bit less valued than than what they did. And you know, I mean, you could tell she was kind of talking to her, the ghost of her parents. And I thought that was very moving. And then, of course, Key just being like, this is the American dream. I mean, you can certainly be jaded about him, about that kind of sentiment. But I don't know. Like, to, to me, it's like that's that's when the Oscars actually, you can tell that they have some they have some inherent worth. And if they don't have that, then they don't have anything. Right. Yeah. We We wouldn't be invested. Here's where I'm going to be a bitch. Yeah. Uh, I Please. was happy for the wins. But Key's speech, particularly as beautiful and moving as it was, it was so dark to me. I agree. It, it's, like, it's so is, dark because— Is this because the American dream that he, like, by, by he, happenstance you win an right. Oscar after all of that? I don't know. You it, left it, 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 yeah. the industry— because no one would cast you in roles that weren't caricatures of Asians. Basically didn't work for decades. And then the Daniels reached out and got you in this movie. And, oh, you're an amazing fucking actor. And you get a nomination. And you win all this shit. And now everyone's like happy and want selfies with you and it's just like talking about how like you're the the light of the award season and it's like yeah well let's talk about the 20 years where you ignored him you right, know where he became and like a stunt coordinator yeah yeah you know and it's just it it it's it it just reminds you of that part of hollywood where it's like this is beautiful and the oscars like it's fun and like it's happy to win that but it also just reminds you of like it's just sort of like sad side of like the industry and what it actually represents outside of like a heartwarming moment like that right because i was happy for i listen i like jamie lee curtis i yeah. really do oh please uh, a, a great like, celebrity in addition to good at great actor. she is yeah. you know like even when she says something like off the wall and annoying i can't help but still like her you know from her beverly hills appearance from activia to me being a horror movie stan you know right. but true lies it goes on and yeah, on yes but the joy of feeling that was then the sadness of watching, like, Angela Bassett lose after having lost years ago and realizing that when she did not win the Oscar for What's Love Got to Do With It, um, she basically then did How Stella's Got Her Groove Back, and then after that got no roles that were worth 
her acting. I know? always say, if you look at Angela Bassett's filmography, it's kind of surprising how few like banger movies there are. Really, she's and had she's no like the, banger movies the since like ninety eight. Like, one of the definitive African-American actresses of all time. I mean, she's played certainly a number of historic and iconic roles. I mean, there's not a, a person in a history book Angela Bassett has not played. You know, but even, <laughs> even still, it's just like the movies aren't really there, too. Like, she's like, you know, like the fifth lead in um, Music of the Heart. You, yeah, you know? uh, the, uh, Kiki's mom and Akilah and the Bee, you know? Yeah. Like, the, when, when, I, when I interviewed her for that, that fucking Netflix movie, Otherhood, you know, like, yeah. what are we mm-hmm. doing with her? She's right. stuck in Ryan Murphy's 911 ghetto. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mind you, that, that a, a good, there's some money going on in there. That's so. true. That's true. Yeah. You know, but American Horror Story Coven was a much better use of her crap. You know, it's just sadness for that because Michelle Yeoh, I was happy for her to win too, you know, but then just the reminder that she is the second woman of color to win Best Actress since Halle Berry. You know, there's there's these beautiful moments, but then once you know, like reality sets in, like I just it it, it felt like a it felt like a dark side of Hollywood. Well, it's the same with with Brendan Fraser in a way because his yeah. speech was all about how he had this you know facility at getting roles early in his career, and then it ended, and now he I, he can't believe that he's back and he's winning winning an Oscar, which is of course heartwarming, regardless of you know the movie he's in, um, but. Then you think, okay, the reason this, the reason his arc was like that was because he was, you know, groped allegedly by the head of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association and he fell into a depression, you know, and that's, and now Mm -hmm. he's back because he, you know, it's, it's like there was a really dark trajectory there Mm -hmm. that led to this. And it had to do with the people in that room sort Mm -hmm. of not. Not, you know, allowing that kind of thing to happen. Right. No, it feels like people were skirting around talking, saying the word unfair. Like, you know, it's like it's unfair what happened to Kihui Kwan or uh, Brendan Fraser in these circumstances. And it's, it, you. I don't think you can remedy that with an Oscar win, even though it looks like, you know, something amazing and what we all want to happen, et cetera. Um, and not like was, Jamie's career has been unfair, largely, but, you know, right. she gave yeah, a speech that's sort of know, a about story. being ignored. But like, even with her talking about being ignored a bit too, I mean, She's a little bit like Angela Bassett. Ryan Murphy brought That's her back true. with like Scream Queens and stuff like that on TV because she's a great, amazing actress that apparently everyone in that room loves. But they sort of had nothing for her to do post like Halloween H2O. I want to say also that uh, Alonzo Duralde, a friend of ours, film critic, had a good point, which is, I bet it's pretty overwhelming when you're standing on an Oscar stage and both of your parents have been nominated for Oscars but didn't win. So yeah. I, I think that was a particularly awesome thing that she just got to realize that on behalf of her family, kind of like uh, Laura Dern a few years ago. Uh, oh, that's uh, right. Both her parents Oscar nominated, not winners, legends in their own right, and they're still here. Um, I want to say about the Everything Everywhere All at Once um, uh, sweep. It was really giving Shit's Creek at the Emmys a couple years ago to me, where I really think people were... It's not like there's anything wrong with that show. It's just that people are really swept up in a sentiment, I think, and they want to be in that feeling and harness that feeling. And there's really good things about that, as in this beloved movie that everybody likes is getting a lot of attention. But I also think it blinds people to other movies. So, like, 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 Jamie Lee Curtis winning, it's like, I'm just... like. 
I, I guess I'm happy that it's a somewhat comic performance that won overall. I literally think in the one scene where Carrie Condon is calling Colin Farrell boring, she is way funnier than Jamie Jamie Lee Curtis yeah. ever is in that movie. I better so I not just, hear another drag from anyone ever of Marissa Tomei winning for My Cousin Vinny after oh, that. Please. Okay? Oh, please. No. Because the, what she did in that performance versus Jamie Lee Curtis stapling papers <laughs> right it's, it's a staple heavy movie yes that's what she does in that film what i actually want to ask you to uh about everything everywhere is when you look at the trajectory of hollywood right and sort of what best picture does i guess for the way the industry starts to work you know because studio execs are very simple people uh, they see they see something successful. <laughs> put. They see something that wins like this. It's sort of like it changes a bit. Like if not the movies we're making, you know, it's not like we've seen a bunch of Moonlights, but that is a black film. Uh, but you see a movie like this, which you know has a fair budget, uh, made a shit ton of money. It's an action movie, a crowd pleaser, has a diverse cast. Do you think that one the Oscars? are going to backlash from, you know, celebrating a film that just, like, makes people feel good like this. Um, and two, that um, the industry is going to maybe try and make more of these. Because I will say the, the one addendum I'll add to that first one about things that make people happy, we forget that movies like Green Book and stuff, etc., like, they make a certain kind of white person in Hollywood feel happy to watch. So it's the same kind of sentiment that you get from everything everywhere. I think that maybe the, the room that it, the space that it creates with the Oscars has maybe more to do with the genre. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. the idea that, okay, maybe we don't want to give best picture to a Marvel movie, Mm -hmm. but maybe we'll see more movies that, use elements of Marvel um, but aren't actual sort of branded superhero things mm-hmm. and that those have proved to be awardsy. Yeah, that there's there can be inventive use of things we like in these blockbuster movies that can be applied to the Oscars conversation. I am somewhat happy about that, even though I also just think everything, everything Everywhere All at Once is the Marvel fans version of a prestige movie. Like, I feel like it's exactly. more for them than us ultimately, but which I, think, I have to be think, territorial about. But I think that's like the evolution of what a prestige movie is. Yeah. Is that now you have a generation entering the Academy that doesn't draw the line at, you know, multiverse talk and action sequences. Right. Um, I I want to say about Michelle Yeoh's uh, Oscar win, the fact that it incorporates any version of action at all is a complete anomaly in Best Actress. So, first of all, mm-hmm. you have to celebrate that. I mean, really, what are we talking about? Like Jodie Foster and Silence of the Lambs? There's just not many of those, ultimately. Um, Does Sigourney it Weaver being nominated for Aliens, but say what? How many men have action-heavy um, oh, that's wins a good or nominations? Too. By the way, speaking of men, we talk about how there's only two women of color who've won Best Actress. I think it's only five who've won, maybe six who've won Best Actor. So it's not like... It's dominating any other conversation either. So we can right. be talking about that with the Oscars too. I can't get this joke out of my head that my friend Devin Field, who wrote on the Oscars with me, said about everything everywhere all at once, which he says, it's as good as a 2012 Skittles commercial can be. <laughs> you know, bang, zoom, we're in the Skittles matrix. <laughs> oh, listen, I agree with Michael, though, that this is giving, you know, 
a Marvel fan, you know, like especially people who are growing up on those films. Um, and the fact that they're dominating the industry so much, like a different outlet to be doing yeah. these things. I mean, it reminds me so much of when comic books weren't um, – really considered like a cash cow in Hollywood, you know, and you had like a Tim Burton making um, Batman and Batman Returns, you know, and like, and that changed the trajectory of what superhero films looked like after that, but also like what like action films were like looking like just being weird and gritty. And I think that a large problem in Hollywood has been so many of our amazing directors getting sucked up by the Marvel machine um, and now here comes the DC machine after James Gunn, you know, has enacted his own, you know, um, five point plan uh, to take <laughs> over the industry. Um, wouldn't it be great that like now the industry can see like, oh, if if this director wants to make like a fun, pulpy movie that can also get audiences in the seat, and that also might be like a fucking awards contender. Let's give them money to do that instead of having them do, you know, um, Fantastic Four Seven. Right, 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 right. When we're back, more Oscars. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand... That was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And (laughs) I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside, and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain Mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have it always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. 
In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the Black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. So now moving on to directors, the whole sweep really was surprising because I was actually shocked that Daniels won Best Director. I'm not because I feel like the directing is also a character in that movie, and that tends to be, I think, a major component of what ends up winning that category ultimately. That's a good point. I mean, I always say, like, if you want to figure out why something wins any category of the Oscars, you can usually replace the word best with most. Yes. And that's what wins. <laughs> most hit, most a lot makeup, of just like most acting, yeah. Yeah. most editing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. You know, it's it like it's like um, the big short winning editing. Like, it's just like you remember the cuts in that movie because it's so whiz bang, you know. So if I remember it, it must be the best. Which oh, I God. feel like. Didn't that fucking. Um, uh, the the um the Queen movie would best editing too. Wait the, the oh Queen. Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, I th- I literally thought you meant the favorite. Okay, uh, yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> Did Bohemian Rhapsody would best editing? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, and that editing was abysmal. It was just it was twenty million cuts in a single scene, just two people talking to each exactly. other. Exactly, most editing. But, <laughs> there was yeah, quite a lot. <laughs> and, and by the way, it wasn't edited at all. It's like three hours long. So what was edited ultimately? <laughs> yes. I want to see what hit the cutting room floor. No, I don't. Okay, so Lewis, you wrote for the Oscars. Uh, yes, yes. And my one question is, did you write the L. Ron Hubba Hubba joke? I am ashamed to say I did not. It was Because uh, that I think I can give that one away. Up. Yes, no, it was uh, John Bynes, longtime uh, uh, Jimmy Kimmel writer. Um, oh, God, there my were, nemesis there, from NYU. That, you, that's right. You met him there. Um, <laughs> no, there were rounds. I think we did ultimately about 18 rounds of jokes. And what we would get are assignments where you uh, – various topics. You know, like I, like we – I don't think we had a single joke about Andrea Riseborough in the entire monologue. I must have had five different assignments writing about Andrea Riseborough. Um, like I had a joke about two Leslie that didn't make the telecast, which is, oh, that movie made $27,000 at the time she was nominated. That was the KFC budget on the whale. I mean, let's say things like that. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's just like there's not time for everything. Honestly, um, uh, in terms of Jimmy hosting, I think it's probably one of the shorter monologues in recent uh, Oscar history, which as much as I think he's hilarious and delivered all the jokes really well, that's also a good thing. I think people just like moving the ceremony along. And that was like a real credit to the ceremony, ultimately, you know, that we didn't spend a lot of time on any one kind of time-consuming bit or anything, you know, in, in the past, how many, you know, 
you know, weird things where we take one audience member's time and turn it into this giant bit. And maybe it pans out, maybe it doesn't. I really felt like it m- moved along. I'm obviously biased, but so I, I thought Jimmy was great. Um, and uh, I, I interviewed him for Oscar Wars about oh, red, it ends yeah. with Envelope Gate. So I talked to him about that moment and how you have to obviously improv, like keep up with whatever craziness is happening. Um, but when I saw you coming in on the red carpet, champagne carpet, sorry. Um, you were talking about how, like, your process during the show. You 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 watch and write jokes for like what is happening along the way. Like, yes. Where, where do you where are you sitting? What's your setup? There, we were literally right on the stage backstage. L- let me put this in perspective for you sonically. When Lady Gaga was performing, I assumed it was going terribly because I could only hear the drums. Like, I couldn't mm. even hear her vocal, so I assumed that meant. No one could hear anything. And no, it just meant I'm next to the drums. So it was a real, like, uh, cacophonous sounding uh, backstage area. But, like, I was on the actual floor of the stage and stuff. Like, uh, I remember I was walking to the bathroom and I ran into Denai Guerrera as she got off stage because I didn't realize how close we were to the people literally performing the Oscars while we were uh, sitting back there <laughs> writing. Yeah, we were back there. Uh, in, like, there were like 15, 16 of us huddled up back there waiting for, you know, a, a pseudo slap to occur so we could write one-liners to it. But uh, it was a pretty self-contained Oscars. Everybody was, you know, on their so best like behavior. So, what's like, what's an example of something that happened that you had to respond to? This ceremony, I don't think we ended up having to write anything. But, for example, it would have been if there was an unexpected victory of some kind, which I don't think we got this year, you know. Like, we we prepared for most versions of what could happen. Like, if everything ever were all at once won this award, or if... Um, uh, Angela Bassett won Best Supporting Actress or whatever. So we actually, uh, we did a lot of our job ahead of time. Really? Yeah. Um, I saw someone after the show at the Governor's Ball, uh, this producer Donna Giliotti, who said it was uh, the Joe Biden of Oscars, which I thought was very apt. Yeah. Because she was like, it was good, but it was maybe a little boring, but that was essentially fine because the Oscars have, the Oscars have had this period of such turbulence and, you know, drama and weirdness between Envelope Gate, the, the the train station year, the slap, obviously. And there was something reassuring about this sort of stateliness and pace and almost almost like everything going according to plan to the point of maybe we're a little bored yeah. this year. That feels very Biden post-Trump. Right. I don't know if you saw at the end of the Oscars, after Jimmy gives the good night, he walks off stage and there's a sign that says number of Oscars without incidents, zero. And he turns it to one <laughs> and then walks away and gives like Cocaine Bear a high five. That was another uh, interesting story. Cocaine Bear ended up being, because of a last minute dropout, a writer on our staff. And he was fabulous. He did a really good job. Like I, uh, and uh, Wait, poor Elizabeth you... Banks sounded like she was going to pass away up there, though. I've never heard like laryngitis <laughs> like that. Were you anywhere near uh, Jenny the donkey? Uh, I was uh, during rehearsals. I was, uh, and man, that donkey was uh, effing adorable. Like you really Aww. wanted to give that thing a hug. Like the the fe- the fur is very vel- velour looking. She didn't have any like diva demands, like no. Faye Dunaway <laughs> as a donkey. Oh, I meant to say, did you see Jamie Lee Curtis's photo shoot that she did uh, the following yes. morning? I just saw that today, mimicking Faye Dunaway's famous photograph from '76 um, after oh, she won nice. her Oscar, and she's mm-hmm. sitting at that table at the. I can't believe I'm going to miss this. Is that the Beverly Hilton? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, or something like that. But she's sitting with her Oscar, at looking, you know, glamorous. I think it's the Beverly Hills was. Hotel. Bever- that's exactly Beverly, it. Hills, Beverly Hotel. Hills Hotel. Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis mimicked it, and I am so happy to see things like that. Just anything that gives you like a slight 
you know, tinge of people, nostalgia for old Hollywood. People love doing that one. I'm like, I'd yeah. be interested in like seeing someone like do, repeat like someone that like maybe we'd be shocked to know. Um, yeah. Was like because I feel like everyone's done a photo shoot with their Oscar after they've won, but that's that's like the most iconic one, obviously. Right. Um, right. Going off of the Joe Biden Oscars thing, it did feel watching at home that it felt like felt like a classic Oscars. Um, yeah, a return to form. A if return you will. to form uh, wasn't that exciting. Um, the speeches were exciting. The performances were fucking amazing. You know, and I know by, you and were, by the way, who prepared? Who was prepared for that? Because as you know, like the song category, I would have considered basically the weakest one in the entire hmm. ceremony. And, and then when they like Rihanna elevated that song, Lady Gaga elevated that song. Even those songs that, that, both sounded yeah. amazing live. Yes. David Byrne was fucking amazing. I loved the choreography. I was so yeah. glad Stephanie Shu did it. Yeah. I, it was also exactly David Byrne. He really has that B-52's quality of like children, children's entertainer gone off the deep end, which I <laughs> yeah. fucking love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like I fucking love the talking heads. But, and, um, I would also say that part of me kind of wishes it almost had like a halftime sort of element where just like we got all the performances in like a big bulk just yeah. to like give us some sort of big energy. I just sort of feel like there's somebody stops and starts that adds to the like stately almost boringness of it. My one big question is, is I guess like the highlighting of people during the show and I guess the monologue helps with that, but – you know, for people who don't always, I guess you assume that people are going to be watching the red carpet all day too, right? But if yeah. you miss some of the red carpet and you're tuning into the show, it's always, I was thinking about it this year. It's always very interesting to me, like, unless the actor that you really love wins, you barely see them during the ceremony. Right. And or you know? can forget that they're there. Yeah. And so, and they're not presenters either because they're there to win, right? And Correct. so, it's just interesting to me that, you know, like, an Oscars that wants to, like, you know, like, be up with the times and have people tuning in for these stars and whatever, right? Like, if you watch that show and not the red carpet, you don't see Austin Butler at all. Yeah. You don't see Paul Mescal. You don't really see Kate Blanchett or Anna DeArmas doing anything. There's no, like, Andrea Riseborough, like, moment referencing her thing. So I feel like that's maybe what the ceremony was missing for me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, these people are nominated, and everyone's talking about them, and it's a fight for um, whether or not they're going to win a category, right? And it's not just this Oscars. It just really feels like you get to the actual ceremony, and then you see no interaction between any of the nominees no highlighting of the nominees really except for the moment where you're like oh and here's their clip and then they win and you're fucking crazy if you don't watch the oscars to see like how Kate blanchett is dressed you know and you only barely got uh got to see that at all and by the way she was dressed like a finnish first lady which um (laughs) it it was giving um tilda which is kind of appropriate given that the only oscar winning Kate blanchett movie that night was guillermo del toro's pinocchio Mm. oh right wait who does Kate Blanchett play in that? She's like the a, monkey in a it. A monkey, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you know, Guillermo was thrilled to give that phone call. Like, oh, you're ready for just stretch those acting chops, and she was like, getting all her Sydney Theater Company uh, uh, arias <laughs> up and down to, for, to play the fucking holler monkey. And animation is not a genre; it's cinema. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Much appreciated. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You barely saw Anna de Armas the entire time. Could have forgotten she was there. Where was the internet's boyfriend? 
Paul Mescal. Oh, see, the thing is, when you're at the show, you don't see so many people. I didn't even know w- what Andrea Riseborough, uh, how like her whole Fantine look. I didn't see that until the next day. So I just didn't <laughs> happen to see her, and you don't see her on the screen. But I saw Paul Mescal like. 75,000 times. I just I saw him on the way to the governor's ball. I saw him at the Vanity Fair party. He's smoking everywhere. Smoking a cigarette. I just, he was everywhere I turned. Yeah. He, listen, Not- he, he is the real everyone, everywhere, all at once. Okay. I mean, yeah. listen, I don't, I don't know if you even saw, there was an interview that he did with W Magazine and he started talking about how much he loves Mitski. Uh, and he's been posting like a Mitski song every other day on his Instagram, which I just learned that he actually does have one. Uh, he has one of those low-key celebrity Instagram accounts where he just posts, like, his photography, and it's not verified. Um, oh, okay, right. Very specific brand. He is he is Hollywood's latest whore. Right. Let's, just, let's just put it out there. He's, like, also, he, this means he will end up with Mitski. I'm sorry, right? I remember the Phoebe Bridgers story. Well, yes. I'm like, that's what he's doing. I'm like, I love that. It's very co- – I mean, it's we got, like, a taste of that at the Globes with Colin Farrell shooting a shot with Anna DeArmas. It felt very, like – throwback Hollywood, a little sexy. Um, but maybe we're in an era where, like, the Oscars can't be sexy right now. Right. But, well, by the way, you know who was fucking sexy and also is a bit of a throwback and I think is a challenge for us, Ira. We need to get him on this show, and I want to see if we can uh, if we can contend with him. Hugh Grant. Because I know you saw that interview he did with oh, Ashley Graham. Oh, of course Graham, I did. Where <laughs> I, I didn't understand that. I think the, her first mistake was not knowing that he was talking Ashley about— Ashley Graham. Yeah, yeah about Vanity Fair. Yes, the Thackeray yes. Vanity Fair, and not the Vanity Fair party. Okay, kind of fair mistake. Then he was sort of a dick to her as the interview went on. I consider that a challenge. I'm up for. I want him here. Oh, I want to talk love about when people tell me that an interview is going to be a dick, uh, and that because we've we've had people on the show that people have said are like notoriously sort of like yeah, frosty or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, frosty, and I think that we melt them. <laughs> I thought he was fine in that interview. I thought she was yeah. just being so inane, and at, he was just sort of waiting for a question that wasn't completely inane and, and dumb. And you know, so many of those people on the red carpet just ask everyone, like, "Are you so excited to be here? How are you feeling tonight? Is this the best night of your life?" It's horrible. And he was just kind of like, "No, it's not. I'm here. It's fine." And also, I think something like, like if you read the transcript of that interview, he sounds way more aloof than he is. It is just, I'm, I'm sorry to say, like British humor, but like he's just going for like simplicity, et cetera. And then I think she did mess up again when she clearly didn't know he was in Glass Onion for two seconds. Yeah. Right. You know? I mean, listen, it, re- it reminds you of, I think when, like, The Cure was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, there's someone on the red carpet who asked, like, Robert Smith, um, how excited are you? Like, The Cure is, like, inducted. And he responded, well, not as excited as you are, clearly. <laughs> you know, and I think I think that's just British people being yeah. British, and part of it was British people being British. Part of it was him being an asshole. Uh, I think it was both. But I was just so interested in like the um, the response to that because there's always people who want to put on their like. I hate the um, inanity of Hollywood, you know, and like, look at him, like, piercing it with his British humor, like he was perfect. He destroyed Ashley Graham, like, <laughs> talking like a their BuzzFeed headline. And I was like, okay, but he still showed up. Right. To present. Like, it was, yeah, it's like, unnecessary. And it's Hugh yeah. Grant. Like, 
He loves Hollywood. He spent yeah. so he many got fucking a big movies. laugh in the show when he said scrotum. That was yeah. good. That you was know? good. Scrotum. Oh, I was missing the comic delivery of Hugh Grant. Somebody pointed out that it's been 25 years since he's been in a rom-com. What the fuck else has he been doing? Well, that, not being that nominated Nicole Kidman for, show. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Which he was good that at. I did enjoy show. him in and the And also undoing. not being nominated for Oscars. Ever. Not one time. Maybe not that's part one. of it. It's giving Donald Sutherland, and you know he's salty. Yeah, yeah. But because he's also a sort of actor who, like, I guess you could do a movie where you get his Jamie Lee Curtis moment. People yeah. love Hugh Grant. I love Hugh Grant. Among actors who do one thing, he's my favorite. I think that's true. I don't see it for him. You know, yeah. like if he didn't get nominated for Notting Hill. Right, right. You know, my favorite is Impromptu, where he plays Chopin. Ugh. Remember when tuberculosis was a big plot point in movies? I just love that. Bring me back to like the Secret Garden, etc. Coughing and coughing blood yes, into a handkerchief. That's what we want. Yes, <laughs> yes. Those movies where someone coughs and you're like, they're going to be dead in five minutes. Yes, that was Prestige. Once upon a time, don't cough should have been the name of the movie. And I think I said this online. By the way, I was like, I wouldn't have fared even better than Asher Grimm. Okay, because if he said Vanity Fair, I would have probably gotten that he was referencing the Thackeray. Uh, novel, and I don't even think he was referencing the novel. I think he was referencing some you know, adaptation like, of it. Yeah, the, the pilgrimage of the the, re, the. I think he was referencing how the phrase "Vanity Fair" even came to be in mm. general. Uh, but I would have been like making a joke about Reese Witherspoon because she's yeah. in the movie, and he'd be like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Also, that is like the definition of a, you see it in a bin at Best Buy movie. That version of Vanity Fair. <laughs> Just her, you look, you see it and you're like, did she play the queen at one point? Right, yeah. It's like, it's a movie that's like too golden looking, like it looks cheap. Yeah. Uh, that and the movie Wimbledon with Kirsten Dunst, those are in the same bin. <laughs> Remember what we used to do with Paul Bettany? Crazy. Okay, speaking of other things that did go viral online, um, you mentioned it earlier, Michael. People need to get off my girl Angela Bassett's neck, okay? <laughs> because let me tell you something. If you've been waiting to win an Oscar for not even just years, but through an entire awards ceremony, I don't need to sit there and grin that right. someone else won, you know? Like, everyone was excited when, like, Kate Blanchett leapt out of her seat, like, excited when Michelle Yeoh won, because uh, they have this great relationship that we've seen um, on the red carpet and through this award season. But also, like, she's got plenty of Oscars, uh, and everyone, like, is excited for Michelle Yeoh, you know? I can imagine that all the other actors in the category with Jamie Lee Curtis were probably pressed about Jamie Lee Curtis's nomination. Or also just overwhelmed by how much noise everything everywhere all at once was generating in the theater already that night you know yeah. carrie so, wasn't like, smiling either okay so right, yeah. Car- carrie and angela bassett probably saw each other at the vanity fair party and were like you want to do a shot <laughs> <laughs> carrie condon to me was giving i want to win yeah which, she wanted to you know angela which, angela also really wanted to win i interviewed her about a month ago for the new yorker and that was right in the moment when she was getting all the momentum for that category. And it, yes. it, I felt like I was interviewing the winner. And then it just, she just watched it sort of dissipate. Yeah, sag. Right, right. Sag. And I think that must have been really yeah, the, frustrating. The SAG, SAG, all four acting wins matched Fucking up with the Oscars. Yeah. Okay. You, you forget <laughs> that they're, you forget that they're dumb. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> if you could take one thing away from this podcast, actors, basically the only guests we have on this show, dummies. Just no dumb. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why they come on this show. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> anyway, that was another Oscar ceremony, you know? Um, 
I thought I thought it I thought it was fun in a lot of parts, and I thought it was um wild in some other parts. Um, anyway, when we're back, Lewis and I chat with Lucas Gage, and then after that, Michael Schulman is back to close out the show with us for our favorite segment of the episode. Keep it. everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular's single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com. And this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidates committee. Our guest today has um, basically held me at gunpoint to get on Keep It. <laughs> and sometimes it's right to comply. Yeah, I was like, I've, I've never heard anyone want to be on this show that much. Are you but me? It's not healthy. Yeah. yeah. Listen, uh, he's become an audience favorite on so many shows from Angeline, You, The White Lotus. Now you can catch him starring in the films How to Blow Up a Pipeline and also Down Low which just debuted at South by Southwest, which he also co-wrote. So welcome to Keep It, Lucas Gage. Thank you for having me. And it's true. I only really listen to two podcasts. It's, it's you guys and Seek Treatment. That's about it. Oh, I love Pat Regan. The most adorable giggle in podcasting. Um, I'm going to let Lewis kick this off because I feel like, first of all, I feel like I interview every other week now, Lucas. I know. I mean, from the cut to throwing axes together to interviewing me at your house years ago. I mean, it's just so coming full circle. Well, I will say anytime somebody I deem mainly just an actor writes something, I approach the project with suspicion and even malice because I believe writers yeah. deserve to be writers first. So tell me uh, what, what it was like writing this project and also what it is. I haven't been to South by Southwest. I haven't gotten to see it yet. Well, I'll just start with saying that I agree with you 100%. Thank you. I should not 
have sold this movie. <laughs> it is the most insane script ever. I barely knew where a comma went before Phoebe Fisher, my co-writer, helped me um, help me after reading a lot of my scripts that never got made. But I agree with you. I think a lot of times um, it, people were very skeptical when they heard that I was writing and I'm still skeptical and I'm still learning. And this was the first thing that was supposed to be a writing sample. And I think it was a perfect storm that just the stars aligned or something happened that um, they needed a script that was in one location and limited actors. And it was a COVID dream. And, and the, we sent it to film nation. We're paid to write this horror movie about um, a bachelorette party. And that was going to be too hard. So they said, why don't we just go with your writing sample? And then this, uh, this crazy baby came out of it. That's fucking rad. Congrats. Jesus. Thanks, man. Thank you. Noah, you co-wrote this with Phoebe Fisher. Yeah. Equally uh, as deranged. Yeah. And writer Doyle directed it, who I adore as well. Uh, so what yeah. was the whole, like, what's it like debuting a film at South by Southwest? Oh, my God. It's so nerve-wracking and and scary, and but exciting at the same time. I mean, I think for me, I went in with the the lowest expectations possible and was just expecting everyone to shit on it and tell me that I'm a horrible writer and a horrible actor. <laughs> so any Good positive views? Well, I'm just <laughs> expecting, the, I'm expecting the worst. I'm just, uh, maybe I'm a pessimist in me or maybe I just don't want to get, a, I don't want to get let down, but I was expecting the worst and there are some of those reviews, but then there are some reviews that um, the critics get it and love it and appreciate its unhinged insanity and it was it was a it was a joy it was so much fun i was just i think really relieved once it was done because um i just it was like ripping off a bandaid i'm so proud of it i don't mean to like say that i'm expecting people to hate it because it's it's i think it's great but i just i understand why maybe it's um a little bit you know you're either going to hate it or love it there's not going to be you're not going to feel in the middle about it you're not going to be neutral on this movie like Charlie mm-hmm. Puth says, you either hate me or love me. And I believe also, <sighs> who else? <laughs> You're just like him. How about that? I'm just like him. <laughs> I am just like Charlie Puth. Uh, isn't that Carol's tagline? You hate me or love me? There's no in-between. I thought you were going to say, isn't Carol's tagline, I'm just like Charlie Puth? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually Ira's tagline. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm shocked that you would even be surprised that people would dislike it. Maybe some critics, but I feel like I am always surprised that no matter what happens in your life, the internet is always on your side. I mean, you've got shooters on <laughs> on Twitter. You know, God, basically like them. anytime anything happens to you, a TMZ headline, anything, like people are always like, leave Lucas Cage alone. We love Lucas Cage. Like, is oh it surprising God. to you that so many people like just sort of like go up for you? I mean, it's an honor and I feel I'm so lucky that Twitter doesn't, there's some haters there's some haters for sure but i'm grateful for the most part people have my back i guess but then you know i deleted my i deleted my fight with perez hilton another day uh last <laughs> well, that's night, right I, yes you deleted you know, it well i just deleted my response i was like i just gave this guy what he wanted he wanted clicks he wanted he's been like trying to push my buttons for a while i gave him exactly what he wanted i was a little bit drunk at south by southwest when i responded to him um (laughs) drinking beer and having ribs in the morning and i was like fuck him why is he coming for me uh and so i wrote that that little response back um 
And then I I was like, I, I, I don't know. Then the anxiety kicks in when I'm on Six Flags the next day, sober, looking at my phone and realizing that it kind of went a little bit crazy. I don't know. I, I don't I know. I will say Are people tra- loved that, though. They I will loved say it. people loved people loved it. People also. I mean, like you have you have perfected sort of like very good responses to assholes online. Mm. You know, people love that. People are always tweeting um, that they want "You don't know my alphabet" T-shirts. Uh, so you should make those definitely. We should say quickly that what happened was Perez Hilton, the website. I'm, I didn't he like sell it years ago. I'm sure it's not him writing it, but anyway, no he had said something like, "I don't know what he was referring to, but Lucas Gage isn't as famous as he thinks he is, or whatever." And uh, uh, I don't know what the occasion was, but Lucas responded with, "I haven't read your site since 2008," which is what I mean the world would concur with. So, um, I mean, it's just a journalistic fact. Yeah. Well, by the way, he's not wrong. I but I don't even think I'm famous. I think I'm D-list. Like I'm agreeing with him. I just don't know why he's coming for me and like trying to <sighs> listen. I'm not gonna let some termite like <laughs> like Perez Hilton force me to to like try to come clean to the world. Like that is not the person or the rodent that will be allowed to do that. Sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> but I will say, I, I must, I, I think it must be disorienting for like a newish celebrity to see like a dubious headline about you because like about yourself because if I, if it were me, I would also think like, oh no, like people are saying this about me. Like I'm in the conversation. I should say something, but you're not in the conversation. It's a completely random person saying something and who fucking cares? Like if you, yeah. now if you say something about it, now you're in it. You know, like, so it's just, it's counterintuitive. It's not how I would want to act. I would want to be, you know, spicy, shall we say. (laughs) Thanks. Ira, what were you saying? I cut you off. No, um, I'm usually saying something nonsensical, but no, I was like, I I think everyone has been in the midst of fights with that person. Uh, and mine weren't about, you know, my life, but mine were just about, you know, his whack, non-journalistic tendencies, you know. And then, like, he's always online, like, getting, that's exactly what he wants, you fighting with him. And then I saw yeah. him at, like, the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse premiere, and he ducked his eyes and kept walking. Yeah, that's exactly what you said. I gave him exactly what he wanted. Yeah, because um, he'll never post up. No, no. Oh, my God. I'd love to run into him in a Spider-Verse <laughs> premiere and just have a... Can you imagine me brawling Perez Hilton? Spider- <laughs> Spider-Verse premiere. It's, it's going to um, happen. I want to change topics to another hot topic because I know how much you love reality TV. Mm-hmm. We talked about it last week on the show. I had to explain to Lewis what Vanderpump Rules was. I'm sorry, what? I had to explain what Vanderpump <laughs> Rules was to I'm Lewis. I'm familiar with he the had... names and some of the places, but it's just not my brand. You know, you know, I'm more like like Lydia Tarr is my reality hero. Not so much. I gotcha. You know. Yeah. I mean, both my heroes, by the way. But yes. this is, I mean, you really have to get on board. It is, just watch seasons one through three in this current season. It is art. But it really is one of the best reality TV shows ever made. And it's just... It's so good, but you you got to catch on board because this this drama is unreal. Which is called the Scandaval, uh, and I know you're <laughs> besties with people in the cast. Have you talked to them? I sent Ariana a text and just said I love you, uh, yeah. and Tom sucks. I definitely texted texted her and texted Katie and texted Lala, getting the full tea. Um, immediately, I asked for immediate receipts and um yeah i i'm very invested in it and 
the man, it sucks. But I feel like I feel like they're both going to be better off. Both those girls are going to be better off without the Toms, and they're both going to grow from this. They're gonna they're gonna come out on top. And um, honestly, I know this is a hot take. I am not on Team Raquel at all. I am so against what she did and how she's take not taking ownership or whatever. But I do kind of feel bad right now. I I am worried that like someone should be watching her because the internet is just coming for her. Yeah, I mean, it, it shifted from excitement over a cheating scandal to yeah. people in her comments being, you know, saying like all sorts of evil things to her, you know, like yeah. you're a whore, you're a slut, like kill yourself, etc. Although, I would say, conspiracy theory person um, that I am, is that not what she wanted? Because she turned I'll off take- the co- Tom Sandoval turned off the comments on his Instagram completely. Mm-hmm. She left the comments on, but she turned them off on her apology post, which means she she knows how to turn them off. At first, I thought she wasn't smart enough to figure out how to do that, but she does know how to do it. So maybe that's what she wants, a victim narrative. Okay, that's that's a hot take, and I could see that for sure. I could see that. I do know – I'm going to sp- – I'm gonna spill some inside tea that's gonna like blow your mind. But I do know from from the little information I've been talking to them that Sandoval is refusing to leave the house. Like he's not leaving. He ain't leaving. Okay. Uh so Lewis, Sandoval and Ariana, you know, right. Sandoval's the one who cheated with Raquel. They own a house together in Valley Village. Um the darkest part of the relationship, actually, <laughs> that they live in Valley Village. But um He's he's refusing to leave the house. That's so room twenty fifteen. House of sand and fog. Yes, room twenty room twenty fifteen. <laughs> yeah. Ariana is replacing Brie Larson, <laughs> just as I had pitched. Yes, <laughs> and Uncle Nick is being played by Tom Sandoval. <laughs> Uncle Nick, Big Nick. God, what was the name? Oh wow! If you remember uh, that, that's way beyond me. I do not remember that. Oh, I have name. quote room. I had a room joke in my movie that I wrote for Down Low because. I don't want to get any spoilers, but they have the inner monologue of Brie Larson being like, roll over, jump, like stop sign. That whole thing. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a body in the back of a car, but uh, it got it got next in a, in a draft. It was oh, that is a draft. really hilarious reference. That's really funny. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I'll put it in a movie somewhere. Somewhere. Mm. Well, thanks for that tea. I hope they can expel him from the house like a vampire or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but... Um, Going to your movie down low, one of mm-hmm. my favorite people and one of um, our favorite Keep It guests ever, Zachary Quinto, is in yes. the movie with you. So what was it yeah. like working with Zachary? Um, you're friends with Zachary. You know, I know you both came to my birthday party together. We he did seems come like a very serious together. actor to me. Like he just is like a very there, serious there actor. to do the project, you know. And maybe it's just the look in his eyes. Like he literally looks serious. He's committed. I have resting Sam the Eagle face myself, so I know. <laughs> yeah, no, he's just really in- he's really intense as an actor, which makes him so good. And I love when he gets super intense and has these moments where he has full blown tantrums in the movie. Like that's those are my favorite moments of his. But he's one of the funniest people I know, and I think I think you can attest to that too. Like outside of the work, he's so fun and loose and free and 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 childlike in a lot of ways like he's he's very serious and very mature but he also has this playful side that i think a lot of people haven't seen um and and he hasn't been asked to do a lot of roles like that so i think 
I, I don't know. I just loved working with him so much. And I think he's such a good person and a good friend, but also a good scene partner and a generous scene partner. And I love him. I love Zach. I mean, you got like not just him, but you know, you got like Judith Light in this film, Simon Ugh. Rex, Audra McDonald. I'm just Ugh. like, Jesus. Queens. one jealous, uh, obviously. Um, but you know, like, what what was the conversation like? Even getting these people to do the film was was a lot of that writer um, and maybe his connections with some of these people. And then like, once you're on set with these icons, these legends, you know, like, what's that even like? I mean, just going toe to toe with these icons, like you say, that I have idolized and and seen in plays and movies, and just like the Simon Rex of it all that I idolized for just being a comedic genius for so long. Just being able to go toe to toe to them with these these words that I wrote with Phoebe on a on a couch at three in the morning is just like the most surreal, insane experience of my life. But I think it was you know half. It was half parts intimidating, but other half like a, a masterclass. And, and I was just trying to kind of soak in their process and watching them work. And and just it was an honor to be able to like <laughs> do a scene with all of them. And, and they're all so, so down to play. Like each week we kind of had a person that was like Simon Rex week, Judith Light week, and then Audra McDonald week. And they all work so differently, but they're all so committed, so prepared, had every single insane dialogue that I wrote that maybe didn't make any sense off book and ready to go and a hundred choices in their back pocket. And um, yeah, Simon has become a really good friend of mine too since then. And, and um, just such a good guy. And, and I think he's like one of the best improvers I've ever, is improvers a word? A word? Yeah, we'll see. Improvers I like it. Yeah, he's one Two of the best V's. Yes. improvising actor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. I am a illiterate uh, writer, as you can see. <laughs> also, I hope his movie Red Rocket does not like become forgotten. We had him on the show last year uh, for that movie, and it was just that would have been a great best actor win. A very unusual, yeah, rugged, hilarious, uncomfortable performance. Just like very, I, I, I was so pleased with what he brought to that movie. And I know he had a bit of a renaissance, but it didn't turn into a nomination. That's so annoying. Especially mm-hmm. when you bring up the, these other two actresses who I believe have more Tonys than like fucking Hal Prince altogether. Jesus 100%. Christ. I'll, I'll to work with Audra McDonald. She's like my dream keep guest right now. I can't believe we haven't had her on the show. You got to get her on. She is unbelievable. Next level genius. She has, I won't give any spoilers, but like, this four page monologue that she just, she nailed. And the first take we were like, okay, we got it. But then we did, I think we only did one other take and it was just one of the most perfect nuanced. She's so still and it's all just like bubbling up behind her eyes. Sorry. I didn't even ask your answer your question about how we got everyone on board. I'm just going on a tangent about how obsessed I am with everybody. But uh, Zach, I had, I had begged him to do it and he was on board. He was able to get Judith Light on board. Um, I was really advocating for Simon Rex and Audra McDonald. And when Film Nation, who had worked, uh, who was the people who, behind the film, had had connections with both of them. Um, and I think I think actually Glenn Basner was the one who, because Red Rocket hadn't come out yet when we were filming. He he was Simon Rex was on a list. 
And he was the one who was like, oh, yeah, we just did a movie with him. He's actually really great. And he, I think he might have a moment coming up soon. So no one had any idea that that Simon Rex was about to blow up the way he did. Uh, to switch topics to, of course, the White Lotus for a second. I was just thinking mm-hmm. about the conversation about your character that season and just how incomparable like how how many other actors don't get the chance to like have people be intrigued with you and your character from week to week like we've only had a few like mayor of east town big little lies and now uh the white lotus where every week i'm wondering what is that character going to do are they the bad guy are they nothing at all whatever and what was it like being caught up in just people wondering what the fuck you were doing or what what happened next and then of course you know the the first great ass eating moment on TV that we've ever had, maybe the last one. I don't know. Do we deserve more? I'm not sure. That's girls erasure. That's okay. Know, that's, that's true. I feel bad erasure. about that. I do don't feel do bad about that. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> God, I just rewatched all of Girls recently, and it holds up. God, it's so good. Um, yeah. I mean, it was just. I am so pleased and so happy for Mike White because I've been a fan forever, and I was. I was just hoping that the world would get on board and, and I'm, I'm not surprised, but I'm, I'm happily um, pleased with the outcome of the show, how big it became, how massive people were on board with that show and just being a part of it and being able to act with Murray Bartlett, Jennifer Coolidge, Molly Shannon. Like that was just a little girl's dream come true. Yeah, I'm going to say the exhilaration level of that show, I mean, like nobody could have anticipated that. Like a brand new show, I'm sure that was just like almost exhausting how how obsessed people were with it. I, I mean, I love that. I was just so happy for everyone involved. And I, I have such a a minor part in that show, but just to be a part of that, that show and be on board with it was like, I, I just remember when that script came out and I was just fighting for anything to be a part of it. I, I knew... It was kind of like the same thing with Euphoria. Like there's these smaller roles, but I'm like, I know this show. I know the creators behind it. I know the writing, the the cinematography and the directing is going to be so unbelievable that I would be an idiot to not be a part of it in any way possible. Hmm. And I mean, going from a show that debuted, you know, as you were on it to joining a show when it's a monster, massive hit, you're on this season of you. Um, what was that like, Joy? That I mean, we talked a bit already, you and I, about you having to do a golden shower scene. Um, oh, yeah. But now it's out, um, and people have actually seen it. Um, what have the responses been to that? And, you know, the fact that you were always doing some crazy sex scene I'm going to say, anybody was prepared for this, it was you. <laughs> yeah, I, I was the one to do it. It's in my writer. Like, it's on my resume now. If you need someone to do an insane sex scene and has no shame behind it just hire lucas gage um i yeah again i was that was a show that i was a fan of and one of the first shows i've been on that i'd I'd watched before like because euphoria white lotus that was the first season so this this had a little bit of a an adjustment curve of being like oh that's Penn badgley and i'm waiting for his inner monologue about how he wants to kill me and i'm a super <laughs> fan but like you got to be present and stay in your character and just listen to joe or, or jonathan this season um yeah i mean i i when i got the audition i think it says something like nudity partial nudity or some sexual situations and I was just like, I want to be a part of the show. I, I I also thought, okay, it's Netflix, it's you. It can't be that insane. Although I was very surprised by the the uh, 
the dick that we got this season on on you season four good for them yeah um but so i wasn't expecting anything too crazy and and then i was on the show and then while we were filming episode two came out and i read and i said oh god oh god not another twitter <laughs> back moment. in the trenches here yes. we go here we go um, have there but, been memes yet I don't know. You know, I think there's been a few, but nothing too crazy. I just think everyone hates my character so much in that show and, and wants me dead. Uh, <laughs> rightfully so. He's <laughs> so annoying and so obnoxious, but I love him, um, even though he does very foul things. But, yeah, I think the the reaction is just all the fans can't stand me. And, <laughs> and they, that maybe that was me doing the job right then. I think you're supposed to hate him. <laughs> Lastly, I feel like we're so used to seeing you, you know, as this like um... – just very relatable, funny person in real life. Um, and then also playing, you know, these sort of um, roles that are, you know, very much in the zeitgeist uh, like that. But um, how to blow up um, a pipeline sort of feels like a different thing for you as an actor. Yeah, definitely. That was, um, I mean, that was like, I guess it's a, first of all, it's a different genre of doing this heist type movie where we follow these, it's like the, it, we call it like the oceans 11 for eco terrorists. <laughs> and it, it was, a, it was a topic that I had, I wasn't well informed on, let's just say I had like, I had to be taught a lot and had to read this book and, and, and just had the, I remember reading the script being like, it's so good. It's so interesting. And I was such a fan of Daniel, but I had no idea what the hell these people were talking about. Half the time. <laughs> I, I truly had no idea. And sometimes I'm watching it and I still have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Um, You're like, what's planet earth? What's an infrastructure? What's planet earth? What's an oil? Yeah. Like, but, but I mean, that's, that's the dream, right? Like I think you get these scripts and, and you can empathize with these characters that you normally maybe wouldn't or or don't have the knowledge on and get to learn all this new information and and learn um how to make <laughs> how to make a, a bomb <laughs> uh, to blow up a pipeline i mean who would have thought but i we really you know were taught the steps of it and wanted to be informed on it and and um and by no means are we like advocating for everyone to go out there and blow up a pipeline, but we, you know, we're calling to action or calling people to action on an issue that needs to be talked about in, in a maybe extremist um, way. Of course. But, we don't yeah. want a Jane Fonda moment on this. Lucas Gage advocates blowing up pipelines. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Although I'm, she I'm would. Really... She'd be like, yeah, blow them up. I was going to say, <laughs> Jane Fonda would be like an unsurprising cameo for the final act of this movie. She's like, oh, and by the way, that. I'm preparing for this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck do we do? Then Jane Fonda steps in <laughs> as Jane Fonda and she's like, we're going to blow this motherfucker up. <laughs> that would be sick. That would be really sick. <laughs> I'm so into Jane Fonda blowing up a pipeline. That's hot. <laughs> the sequel, you got to write it. Right. Jane it. Fonda blows up a pipeline. This is the 80 for Brady sequel for the record. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's on board too. 
<laughs> Lucas, uh, thanks so much for being here. It's, it's always a pleasure just to run into you in general in the uh, like West Hollywood metropolitan. Yes, at Barry's. Yes. Uh, by the way, can I just say, when people run into like a lot of people like look great when they work out, I truly look like a Nick Nolte mugshot. So like you have to know, if people run into me at the gym, it is just a, a horrible moment for me. Yeah. No, I think you look great. I'm I'm always like frazzled and running in late with a ripped band t-shirt and like dirty gym shorts. You look amazing. You look oh, stunning. Well, thanks. Always. Well, you heard it here first, everybody. So yeah. No. I, are, I are we never talk- going to talk about the story at your party, Ira? Is it never going to be talked about? We could talk about it. We could talk I think about we it. Have to. It's what I funny. okay. What I what I kicked you out of um my home because you peed yes. on my deck. I peed on. I peed. I did not pee on your deck. I peed in a bush, and the bathroom was full. Okay, this these is are a the story. inventive actor choices that you need to survive in this business. Okay, yes, that's fair because we talked about it for the a cut. Story, baby. We talked about it for the cut, but it got cut. So, uh, one of Lewis and I's uh, mutual friend, Stephen, uh, is your Sambari. manager. We got uh, host- a full shout out. He'll be yes, Stephen Sambari, uh, a manager. Uh, he's fantastic. I hosted a birthday party for him in L.A. at my former home. Um, And then someone came up to me and told me at some point during the party, Lucas Gage peed on your deck. By the way, what a snitch rat. (laughs) And second of all, it was in a bush. And it was in a bush and the bathroom was full and I had to pee so bad. And then I was kicked out. I was removed from a party and left I thought and was- the worst part is your house has no wife it has no service and i was i couldn't find anyone to like i was knocking on the door Did i get wi-fi for an uber couldn't do it so walk down the hill of like beachwood canyon to get home and i was so pissed i just want to say about the both of you you are both fucking pathetic i cannot believe this fucking story also, I just want to say about your manager quickly. I checked my text after the Oscars, and Stephen's like, uh, he's like, I, I won't be able to start the Oscars on time. What time is Lady Gaga coming on? Honey, I don't have a train schedule running for this fucking thing. I don't know when she's performing. <laughs> Not Stephen. He was like, six thirty six by Southwest, yeah. and he was like, I got it, babe, babe, I got to get home. I got to get home and see Gaga. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I can't change my flight. Like, it was all, it wasn't that he wanted to get home for the Oscars. He had to get home for Gaga. He loves that I mean, song. Of it's a great song. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> this story makes both of us sound crazy, yeah. but I was the world I was very know. drugged. It was <laughs> mid-COVID. Um, it was a I, sensitive I, time for all of us. Yeah. yeah. And my feelings were hurt for a second, but then I think it actually made our friendship a lot stronger afterwards. It did. And I felt guilt from like sending you out into dark Beachwood Canyon. Like, like you could have been murdered like it was Scream. <laughs> you know like what? The police I really could have knocked on the door and been like, "Lucas, do you know Lucas Gage? He was killed. <laughs> he was murdered at Ira's birthday party." But I do remember being in London with you at Jeremy O'Harris's. We went to his play, and then afterwards, like us hashing it out at the Chiltern Firehouse and like embracing each other with a hug about it. We did, and like we somehow did, this yeah. made it even worse. Good lord! And, yeah, this made like, it even worse. I'm making it way worse. <laughs> I should just stop talking. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, guys. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I love you, Lucas. We'll I see you soon. Too. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. All right, Michael. You know what this segment is. Keep it. What is your keep it this week? Is it Oscars related or do you have some other gripe? No, it is Oscars related. It okay, actually kind of comes off of what we were talking about before with sort of Marvel elements getting into like a prestige movie. Um, my keep it this week goes to 
battles. I have seen so many, you know, I saw every like Oscar movie this year. I am so sick of movies that end with a giant battle. I'm just going to read a partial list. Uh, Everything You've Ever At Once, Top Gun, The Woman King, All Quiet on the Western Front, Black Panther, RRR, Avatar, which was like an hour-long war, basically, the last third of the movie. Um, I liked a lot of those movies. Um, So my problem isn't with those movies. It's just it feels like every movie this year ended with like a climactic, huge battle sequence. And I just – I feel like I've almost – I've seen it. I've seen I've seen so many people this year in movies like impale each other and it's starting to feel like like the kind of elements of Marvel and action movies have really now infiltrated every single genre. And so, you know, even like you know, I, I thought Woman King was really great, but at the end of it I was like I feel like I've seen this in a Marvel movie. Yeah. Like 2 seconds ago. And I, you know, my personal taste is I would rather see a movie that ends with, you know, like a very tense conversation. Please, yes. <laughs> We're Frost Nixoning right here. Exactly. Here you two uh, go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I no, agree. Actually, it, it's funny that say... you call it a climax because it always, to me, feels like an anticlimax. It's like, here's the mm. thing we expect. Now it's like, why am I even watching a movie? I have clearly seen this movie before now, you know? Yeah, and like even RRR, those battle sequences are bonkers. And, you know, there's the one where all the like the zoo animals fly out of a uh, of the cages and start like eating everyone and the, they are very entertaining and then there's like a big one at the end but i had sort of climaxed you know 2 hours before that watching not to not to yes you know give me a give me a musical number um but it everything <laughs> it's like that same rhythm of like okay we're in the third act there's going to be an insane battle sequence that sort of defies physics and you're going to be happy about it and there's a winner and a loser. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I say, I actually prefer the, like, the old school sort of, like, not even, like, war movie, but, you know, like, war battle sort of movie where it's, like, you have the big fight or whatever, but this isn't, you know, this is maybe my version of, like, a tense conversation at the end. You have the main protagonist and the antagonist, and they have their unfinished business at the end. And maybe that's a fight. Maybe it's whatever. But it's not as bombastic and marvel and big like shoot them up as everything you know i feel like the northmen ended in a fantastic way this year you know it was just him deciding to stay um and fight polonius um, <laughs> and uh then you know ascending up into the heavens you know yeah. like I, like something like that it felt at least a little bit different do you, uh, this is just what's coming to mind. A movie that I think ends really well that might otherwise end in some kind of a battle sequence is Apocalypse Now. Like how it ends mm. with the confrontation with Marlon Brando, mm. and you just you're you're introduced basically to his character at that moment and how strange he is. And that's a nice warped turn for the movie that's already pretty warped. Yeah, there in are general. also like tropes within battle sequences now that are so worn, like how one supporting character dies. Yeah. So there's like a moment of music swelling and sadness and then like back to the battle. And there's also the the cliche of like that one perfect shot, which is really very big in Top Gun. Like they have to get this one thing exactly right and hit this one mark and they do it. And it's like, okay, they did it. Yeah. Bullseye. I knew that was going to happen. Yeah, imagine if that didn't happen, right? Yeah. No, I also, that's sort of something I, I hated about Top Gun. Like, they're setting up the stunt of what the plane has to do from the beginning. Like, it's like a gymnastics move that's never been performed before. Like, if she doesn't land on both her feet, we're not going to win or whatever, you know? Right, right. Yeah. I mean, that's just Star Wars. Right. Yeah, that too. <laughs> that is just Star Wars. <laughs> just you yeah. just blow it up the Millennium Falcon. 
Um, no, I'm sorry, I... the Death Star. Ugh, imagine yeah. if the Millennium Falcon got blown up. Yeah, <laughs> you're falling apart over there. <laughs> uh, I'm feeling like Chrissy and through his company this week. Uh, that, you sure you're exactly <laughs> right on the I'm phone. Just on a set with my phone. Yeah. You're like, I'm, hey I'm, guys, what wacky I'm things Joyce did you get up to this her, week? <laughs> I'm Joyce DeWitt with her hard bob waiting for you to fucking leave. Yes. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> can, uh, can, does that mean I'm John Ritter or can I be Mr. You. Roper? Yeah. Uh, I just dropped by both. for fun. Yeah. You, you're giving me any, uh, I think they both won Emmys. So either is acceptable. Right. Um, yeah, Don Knotts is, I think, won a ton of, ton of Emmys, at least for his earlier show. Anyway. He won six two- for Knotts Landing. This, <laughs> not the same Knotts. You know it. My, keep it, is, my keep it is two-pronged this week. One, uh, keep it just to people who ask me if I, quote-unquote, punched up the RRR speech because the, he referenced the Carpenters in it. Simply not how the Oscars work. They don't, they don't like, reach out to <laughs> The staff of the Oscars asking is if there you any, can help is us. Is there any faggot backstage who knows Karen Carpenter? We want to reference her. That was such like, an adorable... That girl. <laughs> that was such an adorable speech, by the way. Because yeah. he, him bringing up the Carpenters, not just a surprise to me, a surprise to everybody in the room. And then for him to uh, uh, do his speech to the tune of Top of the World, come on, utterly adorable. I've never seen anything like that at the Oscars. That was uh, great to see. And then the other keep it, I'll say, as an Oscars fan, unfortunately, keep it to uh, the in memoriam, which left out <laughs> Anne Heche, who is you know, just a definitive late 90s movie star in lots of uh, uh, famous movies. Do you know what I didn't know about the in memoriam until it was confirmed to me the other day, even though I think this is just public knowledge? If you win an Oscar, you're automatically in the in memoriam. So that pushes so many people out of the package, ultimately. Like, they can only have so many, you know, uh, in the show, but it's like, uh, not to be a dick, if I'm choosing between Anne Heche and Kirstie Alley, who got into it, I might have gone Anne. Mm. I mm. do enjoy guessing beforehand who's going to get the final slot, and I will say, I did absolutely guess directly. As it was happening, I leaned over to the person next to me and said, Walter Marish. And there he was. I was very surprised. So you really beat me on that no, one. Because I know my academy history. He was a, 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 a longstanding president of the academy in the 70s. Right, right. But you would have thought Angela ba- Lansbury still would have cleared that, right? Anyway, you didn't. You, you beat me. I don't think enough people laughed at it. And maybe it was different in the audience. But um, I did like the Robert Blake joke. Oh, that was very funny, I thought. <laughs> also, <laughs> Robert Blake, I mean, in, in addition to being a murderer... <laughs> One of the craziest fucking celebrities who ever lived. That interview he did with Piers Morgan where he's wearing like a leather vest and nothing else. I mean, mm. truly the kind of person who, like Beretta, would have a big bird on his shoulder all the time. I mean, a crazy person. Ira, what is your keep it this week? My keep it goes to the the attacks that I faced. Oh, here we are. Online. When I simply said... <laughs> That if you want to revisit the works of Brendan Fraser, you don't necessarily need to watch Encino Man, because you know what? It's a bad movie. It is abysmal. Is this controversial at all? It's because a there's two Oscar winners in it? I was called yeah. I was called a thief. I was called a crook. <laughs> I was called the cook, his wife, and his lover. Uh, <laughs> um, I gonna say, it's giving um, a grieved woman at a murder mystery right now. Like, your pearls have been swiped. <laughs> I mean, and listen... We know that I champion movies that have, you know, less than stellar quality. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I love Scream 3. I want a sequel to the 355. 
But I don't know. I like it was always on TV as a kid, and I don't like it. I don't right. like it. It's, I don't like it's it. in that it's in that definitive genre of played on Comedy Central all the time, and I because it was there, I would always see like a truncated version mm-hmm. of it where like you know the big sex scene was taken out or whatever. I'm talking about Airheads. I'm talking about the Money Pit. I'm talking about the Chase with Charlie Sheen. These are terrible films, and I have seen them seventy times on accident. Now I will offer that you and I are eighty six millennials. You know, also twins, Lady Gaga, Lindsay Lohan, great year. Yeah, you know, so when we were watching these films on cable constantly, unlike you know the um, the Gen Xers who were right above us watching those at the same time, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you one slight difference between us and them. We were not fucking stoned. Yeah, right. Okay? Yes. I wasn't stoned <laughs> on a Saturday afternoon watching Encino Man on Comedy Central. That's why I don't think it's one of the best fucking movies in the world. Right. Okay? No, um, I've only seen Up in Smoke, Stone Sober. <laughs> yes, right. Um, if you want to revisit the iconic films of Brendan Fraser, let's talk about Bedazzled. Oh, pl- oh number one. Okay. Bedazzled. I actually felt like The Whale was somehow like a subplot of bedazzled like <laughs> like brendan fraser had his character had, had been like i wish to be an oscar winner and like elizabeth hurley sort of winks and goes okay stud <laughs> i fucking love her in that movie and i love elizabeth hurley also someone was in my mentions being like oh the dudley version was better and you know what it's not it's not right. yeah it's not the, Elizabeth Hurley makes that movie, and Brendan Fraser is at his hottest. And if you want to watch Brendan Fraser in another hot role, George of the Jungle. That Please. movie is that movie. I will recommend. Okay, I don't even know. I don't even remember the plot. Right. No, I I remember watching Cartoon Network at the time, thinking they better get this adaptation right. I hope they get all these historical details down on the screen. This is an important <laughs> document. The of way jungle I, times. <laughs> the way I used to have um the way I used to have my own double features, I feel like I used to back to back just watch George of the Jungle and Jungle to Jungle. Oh, wow. Which are I, I would rarely put them in the same cinematic universe. So brave I'm, of you to do that. I listen, a Tim Allen classic, okay? Yeah. I, I love Jungle to Jungle. And then uh, Jungle Fever, the, the the full trilogy. Otherwise, you know, I think the scout is funny ish. Yeah, uh-huh. It's all right. Uh, and then you, you know you have you have school ties, which is an actual good film. Uh, and um, people suggest it to me, Mrs. Winterborn, which I unfortunately have not seen. I have definitely seen that movie. Uh, it's okay. I remember believing in the prestige powers of Ricky Lake. I remember that moment in time. Sure. <laughs> um, Gods and Monsters is a great film. Oh, that's his best movie. Yeah. With, uh, uh, Ian McKellen, Oscar nominated, of course, and and uh, Lynn Redgrave too. Yeah, um, and we don't even need to mention the Mummy, you know, and the Mummy Returns because those are already in on the Criterion Collection. So no, I'm still I'm like freehand drawing Rachel Vice like a crazy super fan all the time. <laughs> I'm constantly truly, thinking about her. I truly feel like she, as hot as he is, and as much as we love him, I feel like she's the reason people keep talking about uh, the Mummy movies. And then of course Michelle Yeoh is in the third Mummy movie with Brendan, which is very bad, but they're very good in it. Um, yeah, notice I, I did not mention Dudley Do-Right. 
<laughs> with Sarah Jessica Parker. Wow, we really threw him in that and George of the Jungle. We were just like, you know, Hanna Barbera ing his ass up and down and back. With him with like him with a blonde love interest, okay? Him with Sarah Jessica Parker in that movie, and then Blast from the Past, Alicia Silverstone. Yes. I think we've named all of his films now. So yeah. I don't if if there's any left, I'm simply blown away. Yeah. So that is just to say, Encino Man. Awful. Give it a come on, Paulie Shore, give it a rest. Yeah. Uh <laughs> put it back uh, in the permafrost. <laughs> yeah. But I'm I'm sure we're I'm sure if not in some Encino Man 2, we're at least headed to some like Encino Man sequel like Super Bowl commercial or something. Right, right, right. Or yeah, what what's the some Cobra Kai version of Encino Man? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. They're gonna link up for something in the future. Um anyway. Yeah, that's our episode. But we we ended up being very comprehensive. And Michael, your new book is terrific. And by the way, we should say your last book about Meryl Streep, so fucking good. Before you go, what's can I? What's your favorite? I guess underrated Meryl Streep performance. Oh, underrated. Um, underrated. Okay, wait, wait, wait. And that can have lots of definitions. Basically, not Kramer versus Kramer or Sophie's Choice. Or the oh, oh I have product. one. She Devil. I think She Devil is essential to understanding Meryl Streep because it's the rare movie where. That role could have been any number of comic actresses at the time. You can picture Bette Midler or Goldie Hawn or whomever. And she is unbelievable at it and so funny. Yeah. And that was the point of her career where I think uh, – where she was just like, you know what? I- I'm 40. I'm funny. And um, I'm sick of doing these accents and these dramas. And um, why not the hell just play Mary Fisher and She-Devil? I was so obsessed mm. with that movie when I was like 13 that I actually read the novel She-Devil, which is incredibly dark and disturbing. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Did not know it was an adaptation. Uh, All it right. sure uh. was, yeah. And I also loved that there was a moment in history where Meryl Streep was the second – you know, build actress in a movie star, Roseanne. Yeah, right. She like his uh, third build. I would put her beneath Ed Begley almost. Right. Yeah. So, and unfortunately, Roseanne is awful in that movie. She is not good. It is a very sullen Roseanne performance. It, it is. It yeah. is like one of her worst performances. I like. We revisited that on like the show maybe a year or so ago. Like, uh, and she's just like Meryl is the bright spot of that movie. It's like yeah. Roseanne and Ed Begley. I'm like, what the fuck are y'all doing? And, and it was movie. also a real like. It was. It was. It set her on the road to death becomes her, which I also think is very important. If, yes. it, if it existed for that reason alone, though, you know, Dianu, that would have been enough. <laughs> <laughs> I would say my favorite underrated Meryl performance is defending your life. Oh come on, Albert Brooks, Meryl Streep, so fun. I, I just love like a, a man. The age of like. Uh, a concept comedy, you know, I, I, maybe that new Jennifer Lawrence movie is kind of a concept comedy, but it just feels like a, a thing of the past in the way where it's like, it's like a Cameron what Diaz these two weirdos throwback. are up to. Yeah. Cameron Diaz. Right. Yeah. I mean, listen, we could do with more comedies like that because I think we've said before on the show, the main problem with comedies now, they're not funny. How about that? It's just people in light situations. Anyway. And I'm already in one. Yes. So. <laughs> uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun. Uh, yeah. And uh, thank you to Lucas Gage for joining us as well. This has been Keep It. We'll see you next week. Don't forget to follow us at Cricket Media on Instagram and Twitter. And subscribe to Keep It on YouTube for access to full episodes and other exclusive content. Plus, if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. 
Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. And our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III, that's me, and Louis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroot, Nar Malconian, and Delon Villanueva for production support every week. And as always, keep it as filmed in front of a live studio audience. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.